this thing on because it's getting ready to be on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bell Ringer. My name is Greg Pokricki. Your guest name is Frank Ewing. He is the CEO of AML Right Source, who recently expanded to Buffalo, creating 100 jobs, and they're already at, at 52, I found out, during the recording. They're an amazing company. Uh, I'll tell one personal story. I helped the, the company we work with them through the, uh, the ribbon-cutting and, and press announcement of their expansion to Buffalo. At some point, I mentioned that I was a Yankees fan. And on opening day of the MLB season, I had a, an Amazon package, and it was the history of the Yankees, a cool hardcover black and white, black and white book. And that's the kind of company and the kind of people that AML Right Source is. Buffalo is lucky to have them, and I was lucky to have Frank on the podcast. All right, so uh, thank you very much for coming in, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So to kick us off. Tell everyone a bit about AML Right Source. You know who you guys are. Sure, uh, AML Right Source. We are the country's leading provider of anti-money laundering and financial crime co-sourcing and outsourcing solutions. Um, what does that actually mean? <laughs> right. uh, what it means is that we have uh, right now uh, roughly 700 full-time employees um, that work on behalf of financial institutions and non-bank financial institutions to identify monitor and report potentially suspicious transactions pursuant to the Bank Secrecy Act, uh, OFAC uh, regulations, um, and a whole host of other laws and regs um, that are related to financial crime. How much has this industry expanded and, you know, did you, do you think there was one inflection point that made this such a priority for people? Sure. You know, it's funny you ask that, right? You know, this company, I was actually the first employee of this company back in, I don't know, let's call it 2004. Uh, and, um, you know, at the time, um, the really, really large mega international financial institutions in a post-USA Patriot Act world, in a post-9-11 world, really, um, were really deputized to start, you know, looking for um, potential, uh, you know, irregular, illicit, suspicious activity, right? And in 2004, when this company, when the idea for this company came about, um, you know, we said, well, hey, um, you know, if, if the really large financial institutions are going to struggle with, with doing this work and finding the folks to do this work, you know, how is the, you know, first community bank of Hastings, Nebraska going to figure it out? Right. I don't actually think that's a real bank, by the way. <laughs> so um, just in case they're listening. So, it, you know, that was the idea. And, and, you know, it's funny about how the world changes a little bit, right? I mean, in 2004, the pain really wasn't being felt by small community banks, nor was it really being felt by mid-sized banks. There really wasn't any such thing as payments companies and fintechs. Uh, money services businesses, you know, were just kind of, what are they and what do they do, right? And, and so, you know, the industry, I don't want to say it wasn't ready yet, but the regulatory scrutiny and pain really hadn't come that far downstream. And then at the same time, and again, it's funny how we think about data, you know, we do all of our work from our four um, and soon to be five um, uh, secure locations, right? And so, you know, we have the state of the art in terms of information security and technology. Folks have to work on site, they can't work from home. We go through a pretty rigorous SOC 2 audit um, every year, double and triple physical and logical controls, cameras, everything you can think about. Um, but we do the work off site, right? And it saves our clients money. But if you know, back in 2004, you know, banks didn't even let people work from home. 
And now, for the largest financial institutions, more people work from home than I think they actually work inside the de- in the office every day. So, right. um, you know, from a conceptual standpoint, you know, we kind of puttered along a little bit as the industry was um, starting to figure out how to deal with these new laws, regs, and then how to understand the data and the transactions that actually come along with that and the information security. So, you know, in, in the early days, you know, that it was that's kind of what was going on. You know, fast forward you know, four or five years, um, and AML had really become a, um, a pretty robust uh, and growing industry. And it is, again, until you get into 2007, 2008 financial crisis. Right. Um, and it's not to say that the regulators weren't paying attention to financial crime. That's not the case. But certainly things like safety and soundness, you know, e.g., does the bank have enough Tier 1 capital to actually, uh, 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 you know, cover its debts and keep its doors open um, was really the story of the day. And, you know, ultimately, you know, um, it took a couple of years for the the financial sector and system um, to right itself. Interestingly, um, during that time, you had the emergence of, you know, companies like uh, PayPal and, and, and others where the way we transaction, the proliferation of online banking and online activity, things like third-party payment processors, the proliferation of money services businesses, and new regulation, well, actually kind of a crystallization of regulation related to money services businesses, fintech companies, all sorts of things happened. And, and really what you saw is once the financial system had recovered and uh, these new entrants kind of emerged in ways that we started to transact differently, around 2011, 2012, um, financial crime regulation really uh, went into overdrive. Um, and, you know, a lot of the banks who were hyper-focused on safety and soundness and other things, um, and, Dodd, you know, the Dodd-Frank regulations that came out as well, um, you know, maybe didn't have as close of an eye. Um, not let's not say all, but most um, didn't have as close of an eye on their financial crime, anti-money laundering um, uh, shops. And so it created a real um, uh, tailwind for, for our company. And I jumped around a little bit. Um, I... After spending a few years with RightSource, I worked for KPMG in New York City, um, doing a lot of this work for large uh, global and, and national banks, um, and then practiced law for a little bit, um, and uh, and came back to this company as an owner um, in in 2013 or so, I think, and uh, and it was really off to the races. You know, we had about I don't know, I'll call it 30 or 40 FTE, and within. You know, probably within 36 months, we were north of 300. And so we knew we really had a great business opportunity and a great business plan. Um, and the rest is, is history, so to speak. Right. It's so interesting kind of seeing the company's history line up with these huge things in, you know, American history with, you know, 9-11 and then the financial crisis. And now today with, you know, the proliferation of tech companies and and to see your growth kind of match with those huge landmark things I think for people that aren't even in the, in the industry that might be listening that's you know those are recognizable things that they can attach themselves to and understand your company through that lens sure I mean the world changes you know and you know in, in business you know you're either gonna you know evolve um, and and serve a, a changing ecosystem or you're going to die right um, and so you know we we choose the former <laughs> and so uh, you know the, the other good thing I'll say is you know we we worked with I think in in 2018 
we worked with uh, you know close to, to 65 70 different clients um, and these are large mega financial institutions you know with global reach um, and presence um, to smaller community banks but as you were saying you know it's really been the growth in the non-bank financial institution sector um, companies that are you know in the payments world companies that are in the kind of fintech world um, in the hospitality space even grocery stores um, who qualify as money transmitters and money services businesses mm-hmm. um, you know are, are folks that we've had an opportunity to work for and I think you know the distinct advantage now that we're able to give our clients is you know an investigator because all those 700 folks that I mentioned they're all full-time employees we don't believe in a contractor model um, it's much more risk for us to manage but the quality to our client has always been much much higher which is why we continue to get the work that we get um, but but you know to, to go back a second those 700 employees you know maybe they spent six months um, working on an engagement for a you know super regional financial institution uh, maybe they spent uh, two months working on one of our broker dealer uh, clients maybe they spent um, you know a year and a half working for one of our crypto clients and so they really get to see a 360 degree view um, of the, the entire ecosystem of financial crime and um, the participants in it, right? Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool we're able to offer our clients. And even if you haven't had an opportunity for one of our employees to work on all those various types of clients, um, it's allowed us to inform our training program um, to make sure that we understand. Because um, if, look, if you're if you're working in a bank and you've always worked in a bank and it's a retail, heavily retail and commercial bank, um, you know you see the same type of transactions. But when you see that your clients in that bank are you know working with fintech and crypto and and maybe correspondent banking relationships, you know you may not, as John or Jane Kuhn, uh, investigator or analyst in a bank, have that type of experience. Um, and so we're able to give our folks that experience. So it's pretty cool. We're really excited about it. Right. So you started to get into, you said, um, you know, you spent some time with KPMG and then practice law. Uh, I know you're a UB law grad, so you were familiar with this region. Um, And earlier you mentioned your four locations. So just for the listeners, tell us where you guys are located and kind of the company's origin and then the order of expansion. Sure. So we are a Cleveland-based company. Right. we have an office in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, an office about 35 minutes southeast of Cleveland in Hudson, Ohio. Um, we have an office in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, downtown Phoenix. And our fourth office that we just opened um, about a month ago um, was here in, in western New York, in, in Buffalo and Larkinville specifically. Right. Um, and then we have some plans um, to, move into, to move into Canada a little bit later this year um, as well, right outside of Toronto. So... That's really been the growth, uh, the growth story. You know, how do you wind up in, in the markets that you do? You know, we have a model, um, and you know, we're looking for really smart, um, the access to really smart, highly educated, uh, low cost talent, right? Yeah. In cities that um, love new and growing businesses, um, and are uh, who are receptive to companies um, like ours that are that are looking to grow. We're looking to foster and create relationships with places that have a whole host of colleges and universities. Um, and, you know, each one of the cities that we're in, and now specifically Buffalo, um, fits that fits that mold. Yeah. So when you were, you had a pretty immediate need to expand um, for the Buffalo Project. So let's go, you know, chronologically. You guys actually undertook 
uh, a sort of study internally to develop some some cities to kind of shortlist some locations, right? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, in 2018, you know, we knew we were going to do some domestic expansion. Um, and, you know, it's you're always trying to time these things correctly. So, you know, the one danger you can get into as a company, I think, is, you know, um, it's really cool to add the next office. It's really cool to add the London office. It's really cool to add the next thing. But you have to have the work to support it. And, you know, so we, you know, we always try to time things perfectly where, you know, um, the, the, the need meets the space, right? Um, turns out it's an imperfect world. And so we had done this study in, in 2018 um, about the top 20 cities that it made sense for us to relocate. We worked with a third-party firm, um, and we gave them a whole host of kind of, you know, um, categories and things that we were interested in from, again, um, commute times, uh, average starting salaries, cost of living, um, a number of law schools and, and business schools and, and other things in the area, all those type of things that, that you'd be interested in. And out of those 20 cities, um, Buffalo came up as five. Um, and, you know, so we knew that it was pretty close on the list. And I'll tell you that the difference between one, and I won't tell you who the top four uh, were because, you know, I don't want to disparage or, 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 or say anything about that. But, um, you know, the difference between one and five was negligible, right? Right. Um, and, and so I have a pretty long history um, with Buffalo. My first job um, out of undergrad um, was uh, I moved to Buffalo. Um, I was with HSBC. Um, and, and was in their North American management program or something, whatever they were calling it back then, <laughs> and uh, bounced around a little bit and, and ultimately wound up working in a financial crime AML project. But, um, you know, so I lived here, you know, right out of undergrad, um, bought some property here, uh, moved to Cleveland with, with AML Right Source, kept the property here. Um, and, and then I'd moved to, uh, to New York City, and then I came back here um, um, for law school. Uh, I met my now wife. Um, here made some some of the greatest you know lifetime friends that I'll have both from from law school and and in other places and so I've always had you know this affinity and and relationship with the city of Buffalo and you know there is um, you know a certain ethos here um, and maybe that sounds a little corny but it's true right I mean you've got good hard-working people who are generally fit into a couple of camps you know camp one is I'm from here I love it here, and I'm never leaving, um, and I love that, you know? Right. And camp two is, I'm from here, I left here, and I'm coming back here because I miss it, and I love it. And I suppose there is a third camp, because I kind of fall into that one, um, and that is, I moved here, I wasn't expecting to love it here, and it turns out, this place is great. Right. And so, you know, when we got that study back, I was able to, you know, kind of put my thumb on it a little bit, and, and I knew that this would be a fantastic environment for, for our fourth office, um, just everything that this, this city has to offer. Um, from a hard perspective, uh, in terms of some of those um, uh, quantitative factors in our study, but, you know, all the, the other parts I was able to fill in from a qualitative perspective, and, and so it really just made, made a lot of sense for us. Yeah, uh when you were opening the Buffalo office, we obviously worked together quite a bit on, you know, the press announcement, and we had the the Buffalo News interview here, and I loved the one line you said. I think it was, uh, you can't put in a spreadsheet the, the hard work and grit that Buffalo presents, and even on the spreadsheet, Buffalo showed well. It was in the top five of your study, but there are some of those just like, 
you know, undefinable characteristics sure. or hard to define at least. And, and, and let's be honest, the, the um, uh, tax-based uh, growth incentives you guys were able to help us get was obviously a factor <laughs> as well, right? right. So, um, you know, you guys were a really great partner when we decided we wanted to put our foot on the gas um, to come here. So I, I have to give you credit for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, so that kind of brings us kind of to my next question. You do that internal study, you kind of narrow in on, on Buffalo as a possibility, and then tell the listeners a little bit about you know, your work with Invest Buffalo Niagara, you worked with Alan Rosenhock, our director of domestic business development. And sure, sure. Yeah. That. You know, well, I've kept the residents here, you know, for the last, ever since law school, really, in, in, in 2009. And, and so, you know, um, you know, I've been, um, uh, spent a lot of time in a car, you know, for the last however many years. But, um, you know, I, as I'm very close friends with, with a, a partner at Lurian Capital, a small private equity firm. Um, you know, here in Buffalo, um, and Sam had told me about this organization. I was, you know, he had my ear and trying to convince me uh, to to make sure that we made the right move and, and came came back here. It didn't take much convincing, <laughs> uh, but uh, so Sammy put me in in touch with Alan, and he said, you know, there's this group that um, is really um, high speed and will help you kind of navigate the local market, help you think about and look at space. Um, help you think through your marketing plan, um, give you some help you get some press and give you some some press, and then help you work with the state um, to secure some performance based in, incentives. Um, and you know that clearly resonated with me. So my first question was, well, how much does it cost? And you know, it's free, right? Which right. blew my mind because nothing's free. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, you know, in any event, you know, I, I was very excited about that. So Sam put me in touch with Alan, and you know, I told Alan that we're going to be a little bit different than most companies he works with, and we do things really, really fast. And that's what I love about AML Right Source is that we are entrepreneurial in nature. It doesn't matter from our first days when we were three guys in a box, you know, what I mean, where we kept our printer uh, on top of it, to 700 employees and soon to be five locations. We have always been fast to act. We are very thoughtful in what we do, but once we decide we do we want to do something, we go through with lightning speed. Yeah. Um, why wait? And, and so, um, you know, we were able to. I told Alan, you know, we're going to have to move pretty quickly, and I think we were in February or something like that. And he was like, "Well, when do you want to move in?" I was like, "March." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it was late late January to March. Yeah, yeah. That was my, you know, you know, you're our. I think you're our fastest project open yeah. to, to win ever. And, and to I be honest, we would have gone two weeks quicker if you let us. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So, right. Uh, there was know, that little you know, yeah. lag time. I remember A little bit of a lag time. But, but right. I mean, you know, it takes company. It's a testament to you guys. It's a testament to us. You know, it takes companies sometimes a year, year and a half to plot out and execute a move. Yeah. Um, our team, you know, our operations team, our tech team, um, our, you know, are just fantastic at doing this, and you guys were just as good. So it was it was a really good marriage, um, you know, for us, um, and and the ability to move quickly w- was great. But you know, Alan helped us. You know, kind of we worked, did work with a real estate broker, but you know, Alan was feeding me intel on locations, on places where we might want to be. Because remember, you know, though I've you know uh, kind of been a part time resident of the state for a while, um, in the city for a while. You know, I don't have the intimate knowledge of where Larkinville was or where it's going, you know, and those type of things. And, right. and to, to work with Alan and you guys and, and get some of that raw intelligence um, was fantastic. Um, and, and again, the, the PR aspect of it, to not really, to be able to kind of um, 
you know, for a company that does outsourcing and co-sourcing, to be able to kind of outsource and co-source some of the marketing and, and the PR that, that went along with the type of move was just such a help and allowed us to probably move as fast as we did. Yeah, so, you know, you said you guys like to move fast, and I know firsthand experience how true that is. Um, you know, we we worked together a lot on your ribbon cutting, which was March 15th. We had uh, Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul there, and I think that was maybe even less than two weeks after you had officially moved into the Larkinville office. And by that time, you were at 30 employees already or somewhere around there. Somewhere around there, yeah. Today, I think you said 50-something. 50 52. Um, 52, if you include kind of managers and, yeah. and, and support staff, a little closer to 55, 56. Um, but, you know, that's the plan. Yeah. Um, and so talk a little bit about, you know, your recruiting process and how you're able to move that fast and some of the talent that you've found in Buffalo thus far? Yeah, well, I won't give away all the secret sauce, you can't. right? Yeah, uh, I but, understand. <laughs> you know, what we do is, you know, we we have an ability and we've developed an ability to kind of micro-target um, certain types of aptitudes. Um, you know, so we, we do look at folks who are kind of recently out of undergrad with the right degrees um, and, uh, and even with what I would consider maybe the wrong degrees, right? Or the degrees you wouldn't necessarily think line up uh, 100% with, with what we do. Um, uh, we look at law school grads. Um, we looked at uh, MBA grads. And, and immediately we reached out to the folks at UB, some of my contacts from the law school, who then, uh, Mark Davies, who's fantastic. Um, and, and he put us in touch with the University at Large. He put us in touch with um, uh, the MBA school as well. Uh, we reached out to Canisius and a whole host of other places who were extremely responsive to the fact that we wanted to put people to work. Um, and we also look for folks with experience too, right? So, you know, look, if somebody has some, some good banking experience, some financial crime experience, there's a few other um, large organizations in the area that have departments or parts of their department based here in Buffalo. And, um, you know, we'll look at those folks too. We'll also look at folks who have what I'd call um, kind of early professional experience. So maybe they've worked for um, you know a couple years at, at, um, at Geico or, or similar and, and it's not their particular brand of vodka. So you know they're looking for a change. Um, but they have that kind of analytical, thoughtful um, you know, uh, experience and, and we can use those transitive skill sets to turn them into a top-notch and top-flight investigator. Once we've kind of um, identified and created relationships to create a pool of applicants, we have a, a really neat um, and somewhat proprietary um, system where we vet people using a, a variety of aptitude tests, um, writing exams, Excel exams, and really what we're trying to, to get to the bottom of pretty quickly is one, is this a smart person? Because you know our mantra always has been, if you have a smart person, you can teach them literally anything. And it's been true, it was true 10 years ago, and it's true now. Um, and so we look for, uh, for smart people. We also look for people who um, know how to follow directions. And so all of our tests are, are, um, have pretty well prescribed directions. Um, we look for people who are curious. Um, and so we don't preclude folks from going to outside sources when they're taking different parts of our entrance exams. Um, and is the person curious enough to go do it? Um, and most importantly, you know, we look for people who can write, um, people who can get to a decision pretty quickly um, and write cogently um, in a way that makes sense for a disinterested reader to actually pick up something that they wrote and understand what it says. Um, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, um, 
you know, not everybody can write, and that's okay. Um, you know, so for us, we're very careful about who we bring on. You know, if you think about the relationships that we have with our clients, um, you know, the stakes are very high for them. You know, if you miss a, a, an investigation and, and you find something you, you should have found and the regulator finds it instead of you finding it, you, finding it um, you know, it's a bad result. And so it's a very much a zero-sum game for our clients and it's a zero-sum game for us and our employees. So we have to be really dialed in on the type of folks that we bring in. Yeah. And along with, uh, you know, if you have a smart person, you can teach them to do almost anything. I think you told me one time that one of your top analysts was a women's study yeah. major. Yeah. You know, and I think that speaks perfectly to it. Oh, it sure does, right? I mean, look, you know, um, can you think, can you analyze, can you write? And that's not owned by a law degree, and that's not owned by an accounting degree, and that's not owned by a business major. That's owned by the individual and their skill set. So, yes. you know, quite frankly, I don't care what you took in undergrad. Um, I can turn you in um, to a world world class and top flight investigator. And you know, that's really why we've gotten to the growth and, and scale that that we have is that you know we've just reverse engineered the process and said, what are we going for? What's the, the, the end result here, and how can we provide? this end result to our clients at an affordable price, giving them the high quality. And it's really about the people. Yeah. It always comes down to the people. I'm gonna clip that part out of our recording and send it to my old English professors at college. You should. They would, they'll love that. That's their pitch they always make is, you know, people in the humanities, it's critical thinking, it's yeah. analysis, and it's writing. Look, and I, this is always, I still wake up and pinch myself some days because I, I can't believe I do what I do, but. You know, I'm the CEO of a of a you know 700 person growing company, um, and and I don't say that um, to be boastful. I say that because I was a political science major. You know what I mean? Right. And and right. so how the heck did I get to where I am today? And you know, it's just a little bit of it's a little bit of hard work. It's a little bit of effort. Um, you know, it's um, a little bit of luck. You know, some people say you make your own luck. You put yourself in position, but you know the truth is is that sometimes there is a little bit of luck to, to anything that you do and that's okay um, and you know what I would say to any you know one who's looking for a career or, or listening is is um, you know if I had any career advice it'd be to um, not listen to what anybody gives you for career advice um, <laughs> follow what you want to follow and most importantly you know take um, take calculated risks you know um, I used to play this game and I still do play this game when I'm trying to make a big decision is just, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. And really, what's the worst that's going to happen? Um, and, you know, sometimes it's things you don't want to happen, but even that negative occurrence, you know, isn't going to, you know, put you on the street, you know? It, so so it, you have to take calculated risks and you have to take, if you don't take those risks, you're never going to be able to leapfrog, I think, in your career. So, um, you know, you can go on LinkedIn and just get lost in all the, terrible career advice that, that, that people give and the good I guess the good career advice that, that people give too but you know you've got to follow you know what it says you know in here and in here right um, and uh, that's always going to carry the day I think yeah you started to touch on it a little bit you know you, you pinch yourself sometimes just in the position you found yourself um, obviously this expansion it, it's 100 jobs for Buffalo it means a lot to our community and Everybody at our organization is so excited about it. Um, we had the big ribbon cutting, a lot of excitement there. But personally, as a UB law grad and you've lived here, you've had a residence here for a long time, 
I know it means a lot to you to be able to kind of bring that back here. Um, just talk a little bit about, you know, on the personal side, what it means to you. Yeah, you know, um, this is a great place. You know, it's a great place. You know, we're, and it's no, it's not an affront to the other cities that we're located in, but we're choosing to raise our girls here. Um, and we're choosing to educate them here. And, you know, to, you know, have a, a soon, uh, at some point soon, hopefully, a primary residence, you know, here. Uh, but we do have a residence here, but I'll be here full time, hopefully at some point. Right. But, uh, you know, and, and that's because, you know, it's, it's the personal connection that, you know, I have with the city and the people who are in it. You know, you, you, you always read about, you know, um, things like, oh, it's a city of, of good neighbors and, and all these other type of things. And, oh, if you've ever been to Buffalo, like, you're going to love the people. And, and they're the most inviting and the most friendly. And it turns out sometimes with reputations, um, they're earned and they're true. And reputation doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a negative connotation. Uh, you know, this is a great place, and and so you know, for me, it's it's extra special. You know, you know, to be in a place where you know, I've met my wife, where we've had our two girls, and that they'll know that you know we were committed to this place, that they should be committed to this place, and you know that I can tell them that you know I took part in what I believe, you know, what I see is a real renaissance and revival um, in the city and that, you know, in a small part, you know, but meaningful to us, you know, we participated in that. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, it doesn't matter whether we're in downtown Phoenix or downtown Cleveland or, or downtown Buffalo, there is no greater feeling um, as an entrepreneur, as an owner of a business than creating a job, any job. Um, Nothing feels better than that. And it's also a very solemn, um, serious promise that, you know, you're making to an area, to a community, and to those employees um, because it's not just them. You know, typically it's them and a partner or them and a child or a couple children or a family member. And so, you know, when you think about the number of lives, just one job impacts um, and then to do that 52 times here so far in two months, um, you know, it, it really strikes a chord and makes you pause and think about the actions that you take as a senior executive, as a chief executive uh, of a company every day. Um, and so, you know, everything I do all day long, you know, while it may not uh, on its face seem, uh, seem tailored towards, you know, um, you know, thinking about that is always thinking about that as, you know, how is this going to affect the team, how this is going to affect those jobs, and how can we not stop here and create more opportunities, not just for more people, but for more communities as well. All right. Well, it's an amazing project, and you know we're so happy to have you here, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, I just have a few more quick sure. blizzard it's round questions. It's my first questions. pod, by the way. Oh, really? It's my, yeah, it's my first pod. You're a natural. Thank you. I would not have thought that. <laughs> uh so Blizzard Round, a couple quick questions. Sure. Our first one is a, a fan question from uh, Cam Smith, who's a recent recent fan of the pod and has a fan, been, not, not a fan of us, a fan of the pod. I was gonna say we have fans podcast. already. Yeah, that's you're great. about to have some fans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cam Cam emailed me and said you should ask your next guest uh, what what is your favorite place for chicken wings. Oh, uh, 911 Tavern, South Buffalo. It's not even. It's not even close. Sorry. That's weird because I know that that's Alan's favorite as well. <laughs> and, it, and and to all the listeners and potential uh, haters of what I just said, go try them. I mean, it yeah. is is legitimately mind blowing. 
right. I've Everything never actually been there. So. Well, you're doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> All right. Check uh, it out, Cam. It's it's for real. <laughs> if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? You know, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, wow. I'd say vanilla. And let me tell you why. It's on its face. It's kind of boring. But still tasty. It and is. you can just add virtually anything to it. So... Um, I would choose vanilla. Ultimate, ultimate consistency. Consistency. The yep. There over time, and it's a base for anything you want to build off of. Okay, I like that. Um, book or TV show that you'd recommend? I'm super into Game of Thrones. Me you know, too, and probably everybody else. Right. I just can't. I really, really can't get. We're gonna get enough of Thrones. Talk about that for a half hour off mic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, text or phone call? Text. Bills or sabers? Bills. Hiking or skiing? Hiking, I can't ski. And <laughs> last question, chicken wings, drumstick, or flat? Oh, you got to go flat. And if uh, anybody actually wants to pay to see this, uh, I can do it, it. I can take a flat. I can do a one-bite one flat. One hand, one bite, less than probably a second and a half. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'll do it off camera. All right, we're going to go get some wings. At, at, <laughs> at 9 yeah. Perfect. Thank cool. you very much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Bellringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded, nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels, and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.